There's always something that happens that is not according to plan. Sometimes you lose a team member. Sometimes you have some great technology breakthrough and you're looking at the, the market and saying, gosh, we didn't realize we had this great opportunity. How should we prioritize that? Our current plan is to focus on going left, but now maybe we want to go right. And so how should we evaluate that? Hello and welcome to On The Grid, Z-Prime's podcast about important issues regarding energy cities and much more. I'm your host, Ricky Murray, and today we're reconnecting with our old friends at Energy Foundry. The energy ecosystem is constantly changing, and in order to address our most pressing concerns, we need to innovate. Co-hosting On The Grid with me this week is Z-Prime CEO Jason Rodriguez. Jason and I sat down with Energy Foundry co-founder Sarah Chamberlain to discuss how utilities have partnered with Energy Foundry to invest in the future of energy. Sarah also shares with us what happens after startups are funded, what areas in energy are needing innovation, and what it would look like if we could devise a super solution to solve all of our energy's problems overnight. This is a good one, y'all. It's time to get on the grid. Hello and welcome to On The Grid. I'm your host, Ricky Murray, and joining me in his first co-hosting spot on The Grid is Z-Prime CEO, Jason Rodriguez. Jason, welcome to On The Grid. How are you this morning? I'm doing fantastic, Ricky. Great to be here. Looking forward to a great conversation. Excited for this first time co-hosting and looking forward to getting started. And the reason for the podcast We have a very special guest today. We have Sarah Chamberlain, co-founder and managing director of Energy Foundry. Sarah, welcome to On The Grid. How are you this morning? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It's it's awesome to be reconnected with you all. Yes. So you you know Jason, right? You have old Z-Prime ties together, correct? We do indeed. We do indeed. Stemming Gosh, at least five, six, maybe seven years now. I can't remember when that Chicago ETS went um, went through, but it was awesome. We had the, I think, the first time that you did it in Chicago, and we had John Rowe as one of the keynotes, the former CEO and chairman of Exelon, and it was just such an amazing event for the community and fun to work with you guys on that. Yeah, it was. I think it's actually almost nine nine years. Actually, uh, it'll be nine or eight years for sure, and probably have no no longer than that. And if you little look back at that, not not just was the uh, the Chicago Symphony Center one of the one of the highlights, uh, and we actually use that in some of our, our, our other events just to show the the setup. That was still one of the most unique setups we've we've done to date, and um, uh, but also the, the the impact of the of where those people are now and what they're doing, where Energy Foundry is now. I think we can look back on that and say, hey, they're they they're leaving their mark for, for sure, and, and some are still actively involved, and some have moved on. So definitely a, an exciting time, and looking forward to to continuing to to collaborate and see how we can work together. Yeah. So Sarah, tell us a little bit. Um, tell us and our listeners a little bit about Energy Foundry and the work that's done there. Sure, happy to. So we are an early stage, really seed and series A stage venture fund. We're based in Chicago and we've been doing 
uh, investing in the energy, clean tech, climate tech space now for about the last decade, which feels like we're, you know, one of the early, um, feels like we're one of the early players in this, or at least a longstanding player. When everyone was running away from the sector with their hair on fire, we were just getting started. And so it's been an exciting journey, but our approach is to work with entrepreneurs at a very early stage and really help them set out on the right trajectory. Our capital came from the utilities here, Exelon, ComEd, and Ameren. And so we have a focus on power and electrification, although there's many concentric circles around that as far as what constitutes uh, an interesting investment area for us. And we're usually about a half million dollars to start, and then we'll reserve follow-on capital for future financing rounds up to, let's say, two and a half million into a company. Given the size of our fund and our, our portfolio construction, that's kind of where we're most uh, effective. And as I said, we, we work very actively with all of our companies, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's really exciting to see utilities kind of investing in solutions for a better future and that it's being done with energy foundry so i really enjoy that almost like investment in itself for a better future that's right and the way that we came together was quite unique we're set up as an evergreen fund and so the capital comes from the utilities but we're really intended to function as this vehicle that's self-generating and so we're investing for venture returns like any other investor but as we have success and we have had success over the years, the capital comes back to our fund and we can redeploy it. And so we had this really nice strategic relationship with the utilities who said, listen, we need to understand what's going to happen to this market. And we need to understand what's on the horizon, innovations that are three, five, 10 years away from coming to market. And so because that was a huge gap in the industry as so much venture capital left the sector, that was a natural place for us to focus. And so we could work very collaboratively with our utility partners to help them understand what are the trends that are coming? What are the innovations and the technologies that are gonna be critical for a modern resilient grid? And when we got started, that used to be called smart grid. Now it's called <laughs> grid resiliency or the energy transition. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's been a really nice collaborative relationship with the utilities that's allowed us to take a totally different approach, a more, a more methodical approach to energy and clean tech venture capital and prove out that you can invest in early stage companies and make money and have impact. What I, what I like about that is, is that the energy foundry story is that you guys were doing it back when when there was no roadmap, there there was no like, hey, look who else is doing this, and this is how what success looks like. It was a it was a truly like truly bold and like high risk initiative. That you'd have to think at the time. Uh, if you if you fast forward to today and, and climate tech, and, and there's lots of capital going into this. From what I recall, and, and I'm sure you could tell it much better, is that at that time, the the model you kind of set the model. What becomes a lot of these 
venture funds from utilities. There, there are several of them now, many of them now, but I think Energy Foundry was the first to put the stake in the ground to say, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna figure out how to a roadmap to do this. And then obviously the portfolio companies, there's a record of success and, and with success comes like followers and other entrants. And, and this is a market that Ricky will tell you, like, like it's gotta be one of the hardest, hardest industries to innovate in and to bring in, uh, new companies into. So huge fans of what you guys are doing and looking forward to hearing more about that journey here in a little bit. Thanks. I appreciate it. We would not be here, but for the partnerships that we've built along the way and the folks that helped us shape our execution and our, you know, our plan and implement it. But um, lots of different, lots of different things that we tried at the beginning and slowly but surely you evolve, you um, iterate on your model and really distilling the key drivers of how we do what we do. You know, the decision-making process of a venture fund is very much a black box, I think, for, for most people. And really trying to apply a methodology and a way of thinking that really studies and evaluates the lessons of the past and looking at historical examples of what worked and what didn't work. There were a lot more examples of what didn't work, by the way. <laughs> uh, but that's great because then you can really learn what the where the speed bumps are and how not to run into the wall. And so we've tried to apply that all the way through and really lean on the ecosystem and make sure that we can be a critical piece of pulling everybody forward. The rising tide lifts all boats. And so linking arms with all the labs, all the universities, you know, the handful of accelerators that existed 10 years ago, and now there's one in every state and just every about every city. And so all of that for us is, you know, tremendous to see because it helps our mission. It helps us do our jobs. It helps our portfolio companies and having more capital coming into the space has, has also been exciting. Yeah. So what, what, what have been some of those biggest pain points that, that jump out to you as you think back over the, the hundreds or maybe thousands of pitches you've seen and, and then the companies you're working with, uh, especially those early stage companies? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll sort of bifurcate it by the stage of the conversation. So we see today, we see about 1,500 pitches a year, 1,500 companies a year. And it's really hard to give meaningful feedback to every single one. But the, for the ones that were, you know, sitting down across from the entrepreneur, really understanding their business, we try to sort of map through in the discussion all the different risk areas in our mind and then prioritize those. What are the key things, the key elements of their business plan, which we're, you know, seeing as the biggest risk areas and trying to advise them on that. And it's going to be different for every entrepreneur. Some people have... Um, more technology risk than others. Sometimes it's a go-to-market or a customer risk area that we see as being the biggest challenge. And so we'll try to we'll try as best we can to tailor that feedback and advice to the the challenging areas in their business on why or why not, right? Why are we not bought in, or what are the things that would get us over the line? Um, and then for those where we are digging in and, and sort of leaning in and looking at a potential investment, 
the pain point that we see for the entrepreneur is a little bit different. It is how how do they, as the CEO or the CTO, um, simultaneously share with us all the challenges and the issues that they're dealing with while getting our buy-in as an investor. And my objective is for them to see me as a coach and somebody working on their side of the table. So how do we build that trust? I'm trying to evaluate how does this person deal with challenges? How do they receive feedback? How do they take constructive ideas and put those to work? And so that pain point is really how do you build trust with an investor who's coming in at the stage where maybe you've built the car, you've assembled it, but you have this like weird clinking noise and the wheels are wobbling and one of them's flat and you're trying to solve all these issues and pretend, you know, everything's going to be great up and to the right. And they know that's not true. And I know that's not true. And we can make sure that the journey is a lot more effective if we're both kind of working toward the same goal. So building that trust and giving them the confidence and the tools to share all of that while working on a plan to solve for it. That's, that's, I think, the biggest pain point for any entrepreneur who's kind of in deeper due diligence with a, with a new investor, especially at that early stage. It's almost like vulnerability, essentially. You got to be a little vulnerable. You got to expose exactly. kind of the, the ugly parts that you maybe don't right. want everyone to see. That's right. Warts and all. Because the reality is that these companies are at such a formative stage they haven't figured out 90% of the equation. And that's okay. We know that. That This is the stage of the business that we like to be engaged in because if we can help set it up in the right way, and we can, right? We don't just come in and say, uh, your baby's ugly. We, (laughs) and and this is top of mind because my oldest is about to go to kindergarten, but we're the preschool teacher who says, you know, their cognitive development is great. And here's why we know that their social emotional learning is the area where you need work. And here's the tools that you can work on in order to help them develop that. And, you know, it's no different with a business where you say the technology roadmap is looking very strong, but that customer value proposition is not quite hitting the mark. And the diligence that we've done is suggesting that you might try these two or three areas to push on. We don't know if those are the right areas, but that's our hypothesis on, you know, where you need to where you need to go. And so that kind of constructive dialogue is way better for the business than just saying, well, your kid doesn't know the ABCs and so, you know, they can't come to kindergarten. <laughs> Sorry about it. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, okay, so you know, We're in these early stages. So once we have, you know, that first round of startup funding and we're really getting into the nitty gritty of uh, the business and what's happening, what happens next for them? And how really are you ensuring that, you know, that investment was well spent um, in the beginning? Yeah, it is. That's when the real work begins. Everyone will say that, but it really is true. Um, because there's always something that happens. 
that is not according to plan. Sometimes you lose a team member. Sometimes you have some great technology breakthrough and you're looking at the, the market and saying, gosh, we didn't realize we had this great opportunity. How should we prioritize that? Our current plan is to focus on going left, but now maybe we want to go right. And so how should we evaluate that? And so the way that we work with our companies is very much very much mirrors the due diligence process where we're having very regular touch points with them. Oftentimes we're sitting on their board or at least as a board observer so that we have that transparency and the information flow of what's happening and really serving as a coach so that they feel that they want to pick up the phone to bounce something off of us because we have the the advantage of pattern recognition and time and experience in dealing with all sorts of issues that a lot of times if we're investing in an entrepreneur who's a first-time CEO or maybe a first-time CEO in this industry or sector, and they, it's great when they know what they don't know because they've found a way to surround themselves with people who can help them. And so really digging in and rolling up our sleeves and being there to help identify people they can talk to, resources that they can pull into their company, uh, gaps in their thinking. It it just never ends. And so being ready to engage at that level, you have to, you know, I have to sort of pace out the new investments that I'm engaged with because they'll start to evolve. And companies that we invested in two or three years ago, some of them still call me regularly and others have now moved to that next plane where they've brought others around the table. They've got uh, a phenomenal set of investors and now they're at the point where they're really scaling. And they don't need kind of the people to help set them on the trajectory anymore. The trajectory is there and it's right and it's working and they've kind of flown the nest and that's great. That's what we want. We want success. (laughs) That's right. So Sarah, just to go back a little bit to the last question, just on this particular moment when, you know, talks of recession and there's lots of, uh, lots of articles out there of, of, of investors giving advice to their portfolio companies. And, and this is probably a little newer given the, the, the record of overall growth in the, in the industry. So how is how are you guys approaching that with your portfolio companies or, or, or has it maybe because the, the unique, unique point that they're at, maybe it's not as much a conversation, but just wanted to get a little bit of you know, what you're seeing and what, you're, what advice you're giving to to companies either raising or, or, or your current portfolio companies? Yeah, it's a great question. Interestingly, I don't know that the advice we're giving has changed that much, even though the market conditions are continuously evolving. One of the, one of the learnings that we've had and that we apply to every company that we invest in for this industry is that the sales cycle is slower for customers. And it's very challenging when you're working with a technology-based business to predict technology breakthroughs or the development cycle at the very early stage. And so you have to manage cash. 
that has always been an underlying principle and philosophy from day one for us. You have to be very thoughtful about how you capitalize your business. And so for the company who's at its pre-seed or seed or series A stage, they're still figuring out a lot of these pieces. They're still working through the technology risk. They're still figuring out the customer risk. They're still raising capital. So there's some financing risk. There was less in the last couple of years because so much capital was rushing in, but they need to have a very clear plan of attack to achieve some value inflection milestone. And if you don't have the discipline around managing your burn to path to time to revenue, you're always going to be kind of over your skis. And anytime you're over your skis, you're vulnerable to even modest upsets or changes in the surrounding market dynamics. But if you're sitting very comfortable and steady and in control, you're not you know, blazing down the hill at 100 miles an hour, you have time and you have the ability to make small adjustments. If you're going really fast and you're burning cash like crazy, any, any adjustment that you make has a massive impact on the direction that you go. And so, you know, the, the philosophy in venture is that you're, you know, taken off like a rocket ship. And sometimes that can happen, but it usually doesn't happen from <laughs> the seed or pre-seed stage. It's once you get to five or 10 million in revenue, where you have that base of um, the base business is working. And now you can work on either really pushing the pedal down for growth or adding on new product lines, new go-to-market strategies, other things that can help you propel the business forward into that rocket ship trajectory. But if you do that too soon, it's quite dangerous. And so because that's the philosophy of how we build the business from day one, there's nothing different that we're advising. And it's, it's benefiting the companies who are all the way at the very early stage to those who are a little bit more mature in our portfolio because they've been through those rough times and they've gotten through the other side. They have the capital, they've figured out the repeatable sales model, they've figured out their technology and those risk areas having been retired changes how they deal with some of these other sort of economic, all the other economic context. On the other side, are there maybe any, and you mentioned some of the companies you work on, are there maybe any you know, really good success stories you want to share, maybe one or two that really stand out to you over the past uh, three to five years? Yeah, success stories are, are fun because to me, it's really a long journey. There's so many different points of success for these companies that I would point to. I think, you know, at the earliest stages, when you're really pushing a novel technology, when you really hit those specs that put you on a totally different tier of performance, our company Azumo is doing that with a, a film that serves as a light source for electronic displays. So instead of needing a battery that lasts for a week, if you use their film to light the device, it's a 10th of the battery consumption. So it changes the dynamic of everyone wants better batteries. We want better batteries, or you could just use their light guide film. Um, so hitting those kinds of specs that put you on another tier is pretty exciting or getting to the point where you're specced into commercial revenue 
with our company Nanograph, which is a battery, which does have a battery material technology that's 30 or 35% better than the incumbent lithium ion batteries. And now they're scaling manufacturing for the military. They have a grant of about 10 million bucks to help them build that facility in Chicago. Uh, or whether it's Tank Utility, which exited and sold the business to Generac and now will continue to scale uh, within a, a much larger organization with more resources that can help them continuing to drive impact. And so there's lots of different dimensions of success that we look at over the years. And of course, you know, we love all our babies equally. So <laughs> it's hard to just pinpoint one, but it's exciting to be part of each of those you know, success stories along the way where you can see it in their face and they're so just, it's something when they've achieved something they've been working toward for whether it's months or years, it's exciting to be a part of that. You know, at ZBrain, we have a startup competition um, every year, Startup ETS. So we see a lot of, you know, innovative solutions come through there. You see a lot of innovative solutions throughout the year um, and in your every day. So I'd say we're pretty familiar with the energy ecosystem. For you, though, what would you say would be maybe the missing piece or maybe a solution that's lacking in the space that we're maybe not seeing as much growth as we would want or any gaps that could maybe be filled there? Gaps is an interesting one because we do see so many companies. I mean, we've got a database of 7,000 now over the last almost 10 years. And so it's hard to say I haven't seen something in every corner of the innovation ecosystem. But that being said, the way I would, I would classify the gaps are in finding the innovations that can meet the cost performance threshold. So sometimes we'll see really interesting technologies that could do a lot of things in theory, but when you try to think about scaling it into a business, it's just too expensive. And I think there are some who would say, well, if they're, if they're going to serve a market that's a trillion dollar market, it's okay. Eventually costs will come down um, and you know, that, will, that will drive adoption. But for us, we like to see that that potential exists much earlier. And so that is a gap, right? We're, we're a lot of talk about hydrogen and carbon capture and storage, a lot of promise, a lot of need, a lot of capital going into those technology sectors. But the gap I think that we're seeing is the innovation that can bring that, that technology to market at a cost value proposition that might make sense in two years, not 50. Yeah. And that's probably the hardest part, probably. It is the, the development. hardest part. Like you want this massive solution that's going to solve the world's problems, but uh, sometimes it's a bit costly. Yeah. So right. how do you, how do you windle it down, but still have that same impact? Yeah. Right. And making the balance of the stepping stone approach versus the slingshot. And it's very tempting mm. to invest in you know, the slingshot or the moonshot approach because the impact is so great. The potential for that is so great. But there's also, I would say, a lot of uh, more incremental approaches that might make more sense from a path to market or a market adoption standpoint 
in hydrogen, for example, the, the quest for green hydrogen, of course, that, you know, that's the, that's the place everyone wants to be. But there may be some pretty interesting technologies in blue hydrogen that have some real near-term customers and a value proposition, unit economics that work. Now, it's not green, and so there might be a bit more pushback from the customer side of the equation, but you would have to believe there's a number of industrials who would be very happy to have that stepping stone to green hydrogen. And as long as there's a path, then maybe that makes sense. So there's lots of different ways to, to look at this equation. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So, yeah, in the industry, everyone has their like what what they're calling their silver bullet, or yeah, their their, their magical if they can make wave a magic wand and, and change it. So, you've heard that in green hydrogen, you've heard it with storage, nuclear, and some of the things that Gates is really advocating for as well. That's right. And 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 so, I think everyone has their definition of what that looks like. But so, I wanted to hear your thoughts. You can put that hat on for a second if you could build this this super solution that that would take us to this this place of, of net zero reduced emissions and, and bring bring benefits, whether it's technology based on the AI, a software side, or what's more of a hardware play. You know, what, what what would that look like if, if you could describe it there? And then how how do we get there? I would say we're building it. Look at our portfolio. That would be my ideal multi-layered approach to the value chain. It includes hardware, material science, software, services, it's energy efficiency, it's renewable energy, it's energy storage, it's uh, circular economy, it's water, it's waste. And all of these pieces, it's a systems level approach. It's not a single company. And I think the exciting piece of building this mega solution is that it's going to be comprised of a number of different technologies. And sometimes the ones that are focused on a bit more of a, maybe a niche customer or niche approach that's a massive market, are those are pretty exciting to us. Our second investment was a company called IntelliHot that makes tankless hot water heaters. And I mean, this is not a sexy space, or at least it wasn't when we made the investment in 2013 or 2014. Um, They're taking a a system that's the size of a refrigerator and can displace a boiler that sits in the basement of a hotel, save a quarter, it's a quarter of the space, it's 30 to 40% energy savings, and it is half of the CapEx. So it wins on every dimension from day one. And the impact metrics that it can have are massive. And so uh, customers like hotels or in the hospitality industry where a hotel has to size its water heating system to the max capacity of the number of hotels, hotel rooms they have. Everyone wants a hot shower when they wake up in the morning. And if that boiler goes down, they need a backup. So there's an incredible amount of waste there. Um, They're also working with stadiums and hospitals and restaurants, anywhere that has high duty cycle, hot water demands. And so is that something that can change the game when it comes to water and energy innovation? Absolutely. But is that, has that been something that's grabbing the attention of 
um, kind of, is it sexy? I mean, it's sexy to me, but <laughs> I think, I think that, I think the audience is, and the broader sort of ecosystem is waking up to these things and sort of paying attention a little bit more where I think it is starting to become more, um, more appreciated that as you stack up all of these seemingly small areas, it can have a big impact. We're going to make people fall in love with tankless water heaters. It's, <laughs> it's going to happen. That's my new goal. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm ready to nerd out anytime. So <laughs> so our last question for you, we ask every um, guest as they come through the series. And so take it really anywhere you want to go with it. But what does the word energy mean to you? It's a good question. I think, I think about the system that it's part of. It's no one thing, it's power, it's water, it's waste, it's mobility, it's ag. It is a foundational building block for everything we do. And whether you're looking at it from the context of, or the, you know, through the lens of climate events and the role there, or whether you're looking at it from the perspective of how it can be a political weapon and, it is, it is a building block that is, you can't ignore it. And so um, it's something I've always felt this sort of natural gravitational pull towards. And that's what made this path so hard at the beginning before clean tech, uh, energy, climate was a thing. I was in high school and figuring out what my major was going to be in college. And I thought, well, but what's the job that <laughs> is associated with environmental studies or environmental science? I don't want to work as a scientist in a lab. What am I going to do with my life? And once I fell into the industry, I saw all the job functions. I saw how it was a career path and you know, this became sort of the ultimate dream of being at the intersection of entrepreneurship and technology and environment. Love that. I have so many, I have so many follow-up questions and I wish I could ask you all of them because now I just have all of them about your personal life and, and your environmental science background and everything. Um, before we wrap up, any last words for our audience? If you could impart them with any last wisdom or a nugget of knowledge that you really want them just to leave this podcast episode with, what would that be? It's very rewarding to, to I think a lot of people look at venture capital as this you know, career path that's um, exciting and you know, mysterious. And it, it is, right? There's a lot of things that are very cool about what I do every day. Um, it's also incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard to sit down with enough of the entrepreneurs and the business plans that get sent our way. There's absolutely things that we're going to miss. Um, it is hard to uh, watch people and give them advice over the years, which we're happy to do, and then not be able to invest in them because they've kind of 
gone from, you know, a place where they were a little bit too early to, gosh, we just, you know, we can't write a big enough check to be part of the kind of round you're raising, even though they're always coming back to us and saying, well, what do you think? Um, it's incredibly hard to invest at the seed stage because you're just working through so many different challenges. And so it's rewarding, but it is not without hard work. Well, thank you so much, Jason, um, to you, any last words for Sarah before we wrap up? No, I'll just keep, keep doing the, the great work and the, the, the sector, it would probably take years to count how many like uh, music, music songs, uh, reference energy, electricity, uh, Beyonce comes to mind, her new album and, and the controversy around her energy. So, so it, it's, but it's a microcosm of, of what it, what it makes people feel and what it makes people do. And I think that's probably why we're, we're in this space as hard as it is, as frustrating as it can be. It, 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 there, there is, there is a direct connection in terms of the people working here have the, the greater, this, this greater purpose that aligns us. And uh, we don't have to say it, we don't have to talk about it, but we know it when we walk in a room, when we get on a podcast, that, that there's that, that's, that, that same sense of pain is also that same sense of like vibe that pushes this, this energy, which has become this cool energy transition that we're now all a part of. And, uh, and when Sarah, when you were talking through that, like that was going through my mind. So, uh, so um, it was been, it's been a pleasure you know, we we're big fans of what you guys are are doing and, you know, feel free to continue to reach out and, and, and come back on the show again and and keep doing great work. I would love that. And this is so fun. There's so much. The conversation is only just getting started. So I, know, yeah. I love yeah. it. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again, Sarah. Thank you, Jason, for being my co-host this morning. Yeah. Um, until next time, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See you, Sarah. Thank you, Ricky. Great work. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us today and you for listening along. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in joining us on the grid, email us at info at zprime.com. For updates, please be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at zprime and on Twitter at zprime underscore research. This episode was produced by Ricky Murray and edited by Aria Levanti. Cover art is designed by Mia Dance.